I want you to look in your Bibles with me this morning. In the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. And while you're looking for Ephesians 4, let me remind you of where we've been over the last number of weeks. Uh, We can stop counting in weeks now. This has been the last couple of months that the Lord's been talking to us about this. And uh, I don't think we're done yet. But in Matthew chapter 12, I want to remind you what Jesus said in verse 25. It says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. And the further we go into this, the more significant I believe it is. And I hope that as you're either watching online or when you get opportunity to be in service with us, I hope that you are putting the right amount of weight on this. What the Lord's doing for us is saving our families, saving our marriages. And I believe he's building a foundation for this house that we're in right now, a foundation that'll last and we won't come to desolation because we won't let in division. There'll just be one vision, not die vision, not divided vision, not two or three visions. There'll be one vision for this house, just as there should be one vision in your house. And that's, that's really what strife is. It's two separate visions. That's what offense is. It's two separate visions. And that'll destroy a house much quicker, much faster than any attack from the outside is an attack from the inside. And Jesus is helping us see this, making clear here that whether you're talking about a kingdom, a government, or you're talking about a city, or if you're talking about a house next door, it's that same spirit of strife that's at work trying to destroy society on every level. And man, if we hadn't seen that before, we are seeing it now. It just amazes me every time I open the word of God and I find that there is no more relevant, no more current um, uh, commentary on what's going on in our world right now than the scriptures. Jesus had something to say that is relevant to what's happening on the news right now. And he's helping us see it. You want to know what's, you want to know what's bringing everything down? Want to know what's destroying things? It's division. It's strife. But on the other hand, we we looked, it's been several weeks ago, at what the scripture said in Psalm 133. You remember this one. He said, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren. Brethren, that's family, that's people in the same house. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. He said, How good it is. You could easily make that a question. How good it is? How good is it? How good is it? How pleasant is it for brethren to dwell together in unity? How good is it? You want to know what the answer is? So good. It is so good. That's the answer. How good is it for us to be in unity and harmony together? It is so good. And sometimes there's not even another way to describe it. It's just so good. And you know it when it's right. And you know it when it's happening. It's just so good. How good does it feel in this house? Oh, it feels so good. Why? Because everybody's in love. Everybody's walking in love. There's no strife. There's no offense. There's no division. Oh, don't misunderstand me. It came knocking. We just didn't answer. We just didn't let it in. So it makes the atmosphere of the home full of peace, full of faith, full of love. How good is it? For you and I, brothers, sisters, to be dwelling together in unity. Come on, answer that question. How good is it? It's so good. 
Come on, you got to say it with at least a little surfer in your voice. It's so good. It's so good. And it really is so good. I mean, he went on to talk about how good it is. It's like the anointing oil. And that oil was not just empowering, but man, it, it, it affected every sense. Just the recipe for the oil alone was so fragrant, was so aromatic. It was so good to the senses. Well, if unity smells good, what do you think strife smells like? It stinks, man. It absolutely stinks. It is a stench in God's nostrils. And if we will ever get to the place where we're spiritually in tune enough, it'll stink to us. It'll stink to us. The same way you can walk into a room where there's something foul, something's died under the floor, died in the walls. Man, that smell just reaches out and punches you in the face and you know it. Well, you can be that attuned in the realm of the spirit to know when strife is in a place. You can be that attuned to know when discord and offense is overflowing in a place. But right on the other hand, I mean, what if somebody walks into this church from off the street and they're searching, they're hungry for God and they take a deep breath in and what is that beautiful smell? It's love. It's peace. It's unity. So you can tell why these things are so important for us to talk about. I'm, I'm more convinced today than I've been over the last eight or nine weeks. Jesus is saving our families right now. You may be sitting there going, well, I don't, I don't need saving. Hold on. Hold on. Pressure's coming. I'm not trying to be the bearer of bad news, but pressure's coming. Neither you or I or any of our families, or our homes are exempt from Satan's attempt to bring division. But if you know he's coming, it sort of takes away the whole element of surprise. And you know what to do about it when he gets there. Last week we talked about not just the things that divide a house, but we got over into the things that keep a house together. And we started talking about fellowship and how a house undivided is a house that has sweet fellowship in it. You're in Ephesians 4, but I want to read something to you from Galatians 5. You don't have to turn there. They'll put it on the screen for us. Galatians chapter 5. Just look at verse 1. A couple of verses here. At the beginning of this year, we spent a lot of time looking at Galatians 5.1. You may remember it. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Other translations, instead of using the word liberty, use the word freedom. One translation talks about how truly free we've been made. Uh, Peter talks to us and says, live as free people. See, freedom is supposed to be one of those things that define us. And not just a natural freedom, not just a, 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 a natural ability to, to walk free of chains or walk outside of a prison. You know, Jesus talked to the most religious people of his day. He said, the truth will make you free. And they said, we've never been slaves to anybody. Little did they know they were in prison. Now they're out there walking the streets, but they were in prison. And until you meet the truth, until you know the truth, then you are not free. But what Jesus did through his death, his burial, his resurrection, in and through his ministry, was he bought your freedom. And he declared freedom to the captives. And we spent a lot of time looking at this verse, but keep going. Verse 2, he said, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. He's just talking about going back to an old way of living. See, these people in this church had had the gospel preached to them. Somebody came and told them, introduced them to grace 
himself and said, you are no longer subject to the law. You're not bound to the law. Now your righteousness is not based on your ability to keep the law. Your righteousness is now based on Jesus' perfect fulfillment of it and his gift of freedom to you. And then he wrote and said, now look, if you're trying to go back to that, Christ, the anointed one, his anointing will profit you nothing. It's not going to do anything for you if you try to go back to that. He says in verse three, again, I testify to every man who becomes circumcised or goes back to that old way of living. Now notice this word that he is a debtor. He's a debtor to keep the whole law. A debtor. What is a debtor? It's somebody who is in debt. It's somebody who owes something to God or owes something to somebody else. I'm going to tell you something, and I just want you to put it in your pocket because we'll come to it here in a little bit. But that same word translated debtor, somebody who's in debt, somebody who owes something, is also translated sinner. Okay? Now just hang on to that. We're going to come back to it, but I want you to remember it. He said, when you try to go back to this old way of living, you, you go back into debt. Now, what did he start this whole thought with? You've been made free. So somebody who borrows something from somebody else, they are in debt to that person, be it an individual or a bank or whatever. But somebody who owes nothing to anybody, we call them debt free. Isn't this interesting? He started this whole thought with, you've been made free. You've been given freedom. In other words, if you've been given freedom, why would you go back into slavery? Why would you go back into bondage? Why would you go back into a life where you owe something to somebody else? He said, you, now this is what I want you to notice. Verse four, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. That's a phrase we hear a lot, we use a lot, but I don't think we use it in the right way. The fall from grace is actually a reference to going back to this old way of living, indebted to the law. When you've been made free and you go back to the old way, you fell from grace, because what grace did was elevated you. What grace did was gave you a seat in the presence of God. What grace did was enriched you. And anything going backwards from that is not just going back, it's going down. It is a long fall from grace. But I want you to notice he used this word estranged. You have become estranged from Christ. Now, remember what we've been talking about. We've been talking, especially last week, about this God-born thing on the inside of us that every one of us have, this desire, this craving for fellowship. And this is what keeps a house together. I know we talked a lot about strife and we talked a lot about offense. Those things will tear a house apart. But you can have two people, like we said last week, sit in silence for decades in the same house. Well, they're not fighting, they're not arguing, there's no strife necessarily, but there's also no fellowship. And what will keep the house together, what will keep the house undivided is sweet, rich fellowship. 
And that's why we looked at John chapter 15 and what Jesus said in his invitation to us to come abide in him. Stay with me. Stay connected. Stay hooked. Just like the branch has to stay hooked and connected to the vine. If it doesn't, if there's separation, if there's a disconnect, then that branch, there's no life flowing to it and there can be no fruit. That's why he was like, come on, abide, stay with me, stay with me, make your home here, make your home in me, make my words at home in you, abide in me, abide in my word, abide in my love, your love, my love for you, your love for me, your love for each other, stay with it, stay with it, stay with it, don't disconnect, don't unhook. And this word estranged, let me, let me read to you one definition of it, it's, it's interesting the that it got translated this way, it means to render idle or useless. He said that a moment ago, Christ has become no profit to you. It's not doing anything for you. How many of you know that your fellowship, your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is uh, supposed to do something for you? I mean, it's supposed to produce something, right? Our lives are supposed to look different in every imaginable way, starting in the spirit, overflowing in the soul, showing up in the body. Our lives are supposed to be different and they're different because of that fellowship with Jesus. But this word estranged literally means to render idle or useless or it's not producing anything. You go back to this other way of living and now you're not producing anything. You're estranged. But it also means this. Listen, to be severed from, to be separated from, to terminate an interaction or relationship with. Listen to this. It means having lost a former closeness and appreciation. In other words, you used to be close, but now you're not. And we know that, don't we, about this word estranged. We use that to talk about people. Maybe two people who once, years ago, stood at an altar of marriage before witnesses, before a minister, and in the sight of God and man, they got pronounced husband and wife, right? The two became one. Folks, you cannot get closer than that. When two things become one thing, they are now as close as two things can be. That's a closeness. But what happens when that something gets between them and that marriage falls apart, that husband is now her estranged husband. She's now his estranged wife. Or in other words, there was a severing. There was a separation. They lost their closeness. I mean, think about it. Go back to Jesus' example of the branch and the vine. That branch, as long as it's connected to the vine, for lack of a better way to say it, is having sweet fellowship. That branch is having sweet fellowship with the vine. Now, I'm kind of disappointed because I was walking around my yard at 630 this morning looking for a good branch and I found one and it's sitting in my driveway right now and I forgot to bring it to church. I was going to give you this whole example, but imagine with me, if you will, a, a, a vine with a branch connected to it. But when it's severed and disconnected, they used to have a closeness, but now there's distance between them. It's interesting to me. I, you probably can tell I'm always looking up these words. I love language. I, I love finding the things in language that we say and we don't know why we say it. But what happens? What would we call that if I were to take that branch and separate it from the vine? What did I do? I, I mean, you can almost hear the sound of, of, of wood breaking, right? 
breaking. What are we talking about? Broken fellowship. And this is a concept we're familiar with all the way back to grade school, right? First crush, first boyfriend, first girlfriend. Shock and awe, it didn't work out. You thought he or she was the one. You even practiced writing her first name with your last name over and over, and it just seemed like it was going to be it. But what happened? You broke up, right? And we use that word break. Well, why do you think we use that? Think about the branch. Think about the vine. When that separation occurs, it's a break. Man, I had that branch. I was going to break it in the microphone. You're going to hear it and everything. <clears throat> I hate the devil. Anyway, what happens after the breakup? What happens to the heart? It's broken, right? And if, depending on how, how close the fellowship was, how old you were when that happened, these aren't the only things that break. I mean, you spent all your money, so now you're what? Broke. <laughs> I want you to see what broken fellowship is. What do we do when there's broken fellowship? Because if we know our house thrives on fellowship, we don't want it to be broken, right? We don't want to be estranged from Christ, and we certainly don't want to be estranged from each other. Uh, you're in Ephesians 4, I think, right? Look at this. We, we looked at the, several, the first several verses of Ephesians 4 before. He talked about being one body and one spirit. You're called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's above all through all and in you all. So he's got one on the mind. Later in the chapter, he talks about things that you and I as believers are to put off the old man, things that we are to put on, which are the new man. And down around uh, verse 25, he talks about the things we're to put away. So things we put off, things we put on, things we put away. Verse 31, these are some of the things we put away. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, that word means arguing, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Verse 32, and or and instead be kind to one another, tenderhearted and forgiving. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. For a house to be undivided, we know now that there's going to have to be some good fellowship. But what do we need when the fellowship's broken? When that branch gets broken from that vine, um, it's broken. It's broken. There's really no putting it back on. I mean, a branch that's been duct taped to a trunk is still not going to produce any fruit. You cannot super glue these things and, and expect them to last. If it's broken, it's broken. And for many people, that's the same way. In relationships, man, depending on what caused the break, when it broke, it broke. And maybe it was good for a little while before that, but baby, when it broke, it broke and it broke hard. And now you got two people who, because of the break and because of what caused the break, aren't even interested in putting it back together. How do we restore fellowship? Well, obviously, if you're looking at a branch and a vine as your example, and that's what Jesus gave us as the example, it's going to take a miracle, <laughs> right? Because these things don't just get stuck back on. It takes a miracle. And God's got one for us. And it is a miracle. It is an a intervention uh, from the Most High. 
like the world had never seen. You know what it's called? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I know it doesn't sound like a big miracle word. We hear it a lot. But if you think about it, it really is a miracle. It's like, it's like taking a branch that's been severed or separated from the vine and somehow connecting the two again to where they can produce life again, where they can produce fruit again. Now, I like this in Ephesians 4 because he said, be kind to one another. Well, forgiving is kindness. It's the epitome of kindness. Tenderhearted. The opposite of a tender heart is a what? A hard heart. Uh, a hard heart won't, won't forgive, won't be quick to forgive. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. But this is how you do it. Even as God in Christ forgave you. This is what I love about the God we serve and the word we, we read. He's never asked us to do anything or put anything in practice without him saying, here's how you do it. Watch me. I'll do it first. I'll show you how to do it. And then if you'll believe that, the power for you to do it will come with it. What I'm telling you is as long as you are looking to your own self as your own source for anything, for love, for forgiveness, for, for mercy, for kindness, if you're the source of it, you will make a very disappointing source for it. You can try to require love of yourself. You can try You can hear a good word on forgiveness. You don't even have to hear a word in church about it. You know, just in, in the world, it's a good thing to forgive. It's a nice thing to forgive. And you can try to require it of you. But if you are your own source for it, you will fall woefully short. Then that's why he said, forgive one another this way. Forgive one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. There's your example. There's how you do it. And why God did that, this is what we have to understand about forgiveness. He did it for one reason. He wanted fellowship again. When sin entered through man, it was like putting something between God and man. We were estranged. It was severed. It was broken. And now there was something between us. And God said, I've got to do something to get this out from between us. Because with this sin here, I have no access to you. I can't bless you the way I want to bless you. I can't fellowship with you with the, the way I want to fellowship with you. I can't heal your body. I can't prosper your life. With this between us, I have no access to you. I can't get to you, God said. So here's what he's going to do. He's going to give you Jesus. And what Jesus is going to do is wash away all that sin. So now there's nothing between us. And if you receive the forgiveness of the sin, now God has righteous access to you. Now God is just in blessing you because there's nothing between you. Now God is just in healing you and delivering you and prospering you because there's no longer anything between you. Isn't that good? That was his whole motivation for this thing called forgiveness. Forgiveness. Uh, look in the book of Colossians with me. Is that right? No. Uh, first look at 2 Corinthians 2. Let's do it this way. You doing okay? 2 Corinthians 2. Forgiveness, like we said, is God having access to you. How many of you want God with some access to your life? I, I, for one, want God 
all up in my business. I would love his interaction and involvement in everything I set my hand to do. I really don't want to do anything without him. And Jesus said, you can do nothing without me. You can't do it and produce anything. Yeah, you can try. You can make some work and give some effort, but it is not going to produce anything. I want God with full access to my life, to my spirit, to my soul, to my body, to my family, to my finances. Would some of you like God to have the password to your bank account and just make deposits as he so desires? Well, you got to give him access. There's got to be nothing between us. Second Corinthians chapter two, uh, Paul is writing to this church and he, he's referring in 2 Corinthians to something he talked about in 1 Corinthians. There was a guy in the church, and we've got kids present, so I'm not going to get into everything he was doing wrong. But it was serious. It was really serious. And Paul wrote to the church and said, you should not be letting this go on. Deal with it and deal with it now. And they did. They dealt with it directly. They dealt with it um, pretty forcefully. He, as a matter of fact, he said in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 2, this punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him. Lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. See, this is what love does. It forgives. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. Verse 10. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest, verse 11, check it out, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. What's he saying? Well, if forgiveness is what gives God access to you, what do you think unforgiveness does? It shuts the door on God and opens it wide up to Satan and his devices. And we know from study over this series what his devices are. Deception, division, destruction. And unforgiveness, unforgiveness, carrying unforgiveness, shuts the door, denies God access to you, and opens wide the door and gives Satan Access to steal, kill, and destroy. Can you see how serious this stuff is? This is serious stuff. Thank you, Lord. Now go to Colossians. We're going to have to connect some dots in Scripture today, but it's going to be worth your time. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. Colossians 2, 14. Well, back up, verse 13. He said, you being dead in your trespasses, that's your sin, and uncircumcised of your flesh, he's made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. Now notice what happened in the forgiving of your sins. Verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. 
That's, that's a little convoluted. Let me read it to you in a couple of other translations. He talked about wiping away this handwriting that was against us. Listen to what it means. The NIV says it like this. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. The English Standard Version says he's canceled the record of debt. Now, you remember what I told you at the beginning of this? You go back to this old way of living. It's like going back into debt. Well, forgiveness is like the cancellation of debt. This isn't the only place, but in the New Testament over and over, you see sin compared to debt and debt called sin. But what Jesus did was he canceled the record of the debt that stood against us. The New American Standard says, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, says he nailed it to the cross. The Christian Standard Bible, he erased the certificate of debt. The Good News Translation, he canceled the unfavorable record of our debts. Holman Christian Standard Bible says he erased the certificate of debt. What Jesus is talking, or what the scripture is telling us here, is that what Jesus did on the cross made us, ready for this? Debt free. Debt free. Because what Adam did got us into debt. As mankind, Adam got us into debt. And that sin that entered the world put man into debt. Now, all you have to do is a little bit of study and look at what's going on in culture right now in our country in nations around the world. People are being crushed under the heavy weight of debt. I mean, there are people who see no end in sight. It's hopeless to them. It's credit card debt. It's consumer debt. It's house debt. It's car debt. It's every imaginable debt. They owe everybody. And it seems like they owe them everything. And it's, it's crushing. It's like a giant weight on the shoulders of people. Well, you think that's a heavy weight. You know what weight was on us? The weight of sin. The weight of separation from God. We were estranged. We used to have fellowship with him. And we don't know. I mean, the book of Genesis doesn't make it clear. We don't know how long God came down in the cool of the day. We don't know how many years that lasted. We don't know how many times God made a date with Adam and Eve and met him in the cool of the day. And they walked and they talked and they fellowshiped. But when sin entered, then it put space between them and God. And they were estranged. They for lack of a better way to say it, they broke up. God had to break up with his love. And there was space between us. And the more time went by, that debt just increased and increased and increased and increased. Generation after generation after generation. And that's really one of the reasons God had to give the law to begin with because we were in debt and didn't know it. We didn't realize what was keeping us apart from God. We were broke up, but we didn't know what made us break up. We were just like a, a dumb dude who just, I don't know why she left me. I don't know what it was. And she's like, I told you what it was. Anyway, we didn't know. And that's what that law was for, to show us how deeply in debt we really were 
and what, an, what, what a price we owed, but what Jesus did for us. I mean, think about, think about the words we use. When he, when he died on the cross, what did he do? We say this all the time. He paid the price. We say that in a way that I don't think we realize what we're saying. The, what, the price for what? Well, yeah, he purchased us. Yeah, definitely. But there was a price. There was a, a debt that was owed to God. But instead of him making you pay it, he said, no, 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 I got it. It's called forgiveness. It's called forgiveness. I'm going to pay the debt. We owed him, but it's the exact same way when somebody in the house does you wrong. When somebody treats you in a way, says something to you or about you or cheats you or cheats on you, that's sin. And they owe you. They owe you. And we even use those words. You owe me an apology. Why do we use the word owe? Because they're in debt. They're in debt. They owe you something. And sometimes, depending on what caused the break, an apology is not enough. And they may say, I'm sorry, but in your mind, that doesn't pay the debt. Are you, are you tracking with me? They owe you something. But when Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray, you remember how he taught them? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and, and what? Forgive us our, forgive us our debts as we forgive the people who owe us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, he went on just a couple of verses later to say this, and this I don't think we have really wrapped our heads around a lot. I, I think that we probably haven't fully understood this, and it doesn't, it doesn't sound good, so we've just sort of tucked it in the corner. But this is what Jesus said. He said, if you don't forgive the debt, if you don't forgive your brother his trespasses, neither Will my father forgive you yours? Now, we somehow have just sort of left that out of the prayer because I'm with you, man. I don't like the way it sounds. And one of the things we say so often about God, and it sounds so good, but he'll just he'll forgive anything. There's nothing you can do that God won't forgive. But listen to me. Man, I hope you hear this. There is only one thing that can stop grace flowing to you. And that is if you stop grace flowing through you. That's it. That is the only thing that can shut the door on the grace of God coming into your life. That's denying him access. And the reason I say grace is because the same word translated grace is translated forgive. It's grace. Forgiveness is the epitome of grace. Because it's not deserved. It's not based on what somebody deserves. As a matter of fact, they owe you. Just like you owed God. I owed Him. And it takes somebody in a higher place. You know the Bible says the, the borrower is servant to the lender. 
That's a reference to the place and position. If somebody owes you something, you've got leverage. You've got authority. And authority, a place of authority, is the only place mercy can come from. That's it. Mercy doesn't flow from below up. It flows from the top down. It flows from the one who is owed to the one who owes. And Jesus said, if you don't forgive, neither can my Father in heaven forgive you. Look at this in um, Matthew 18. Y'all are quiet. It's a good word, Jeremy. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. <laughs> Matthew chapter 18 in um, verse 15, Jesus starts talking to us about what we do if a brother sins against us. You look at it, he said, if your brother sins against you, for the sake of our time today, th think about it like this. If your brother is in debt to you, and he gives you an outline here of how to handle that. And Peter, in response to it in verse 21, says, uh, he came to him and said, uh, Lord, how often shall my brother... So again, this is all in the same house, Right? This is in the same house. My brother, my sister, that's my family. That's the people in the house. How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And Peter said, up to seven times. He thought he was really doing something smart, doing something big here. I'm, I'll do it seven times, Lord. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, some translations say 77 times. Some say 70 times seven. I, I, I'm quite sure that there's something significant about that number. I'm sure it represents something very special in Scripture. But I think what Jesus was essentially trying to say to Peter was quit counting. <laughs> Stop keeping a record of it. And it's interesting. Peter asks this question, what do I do when he sinned against me? Or in other words, what do I do if our fellowship is broken? How do I handle the breakup? And Jesus said, I'm telling you, forgive 70 times seven. And then he goes into this parable, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted, do you see this? To settle accounts. To settle accounts. Isn't it interesting to anybody else that the word reconciliation literally means to, it's like a mathematical term to reconcile accounts. If there's more in this account and less in this one, they need to be evened up. So this account owes this account. Peter's asking about sin. What do I do if somebody's mean? What do I do if they're, if they're unkind? What do I do if they sin against me? What do I do if they owe me something? And Jesus goes right into this about this king who wants to settle accounts. And when he had begun to settle accounts... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, to give you some kind of idea of, of what that amounts to, in the Weist translation of this, what verse are we in here? Verse uh, 24. Depending on what the talent was of, gold or silver, this is what it says in the Weist translation. While he was beginning to, co to compute the accounts, one was brought to him who owed him about $12 million. Oh, I guess that seems like a lot to me. Maybe not to you. <laughs> Your lack of response makes me think, oh, you got that laying around. No, you do? You don't. That sounds like a lot? $12 million? 
One was brought to the king that owed him $12 million. I think it's interesting that they had to remind him, hey, this guy owes you $12 million. Oh, does he? Huh, okay. It was a $12 million debt. Verse 25 says, as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and that payment be made. And the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you all. Now let's be honest. Really? Really? You're going to pay all that? You are going to pay $12 million. Just be patient. Just give me like another few days and I'll give you the $12 million that I owe you. But doesn't that sound like us? And that, if you go back to the Old Testament, you can almost hear people saying that to God. We can, I can pay it. I can pay it. Just be patient. with. I can pay it. I can pay it. But look at what the king did. It says in verse 27, the master of that servant was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion and he did two things. He released him and he forgave him. He forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. This week's translation says about $20. Now there's people that fuss about the, the, the different amounts, but here's the point. One pales in comparison to the other. One doesn't even begin to come close to the other. I think you can see what Jesus is trying to say here. Whatever somebody's done to you, however somebody's hurt you, whatever they've said, even if it was somebody in the house, even if it was a brother, a sister, or spouse, whatever it was they've done, did not compare to the debt we owed God. Did not compare to the debt that He wiped out for us. He said He found some guy that owed Him 20 bucks. And he's grabbed him, took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, said the same thing to him that he said to his master, have patience with me. I will pay you all. And he would not. But he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servant saw that what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then their master, after he called him, said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave all that debt. I wiped out $12 million. Why? Because you asked me to. Oh, come on. Are you hearing this this morning, church? Why did this one who represents the Father, what on earth would possess him to wipe out a $12 million debt just to wipe it off the books? What would possess him to do that? One reason. He asked him to. He fell down and he asked him to. And compassion rose up in him and he just wiped this astronomical, impossible to pay debt off the books forever. But when the guy turned around and grabbed another servant by the throat and said, you owe me $20 and I'm putting you in prison till you pay it, that got back to the king. And he said, why'd you do that? You're wicked. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. You asked me to. So you... Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry. Now help me out. Who does the master represent here? What did Jesus say? The kingdom of heaven is like this. Who is this? This is the father. This is God. 
and he was angry. He, oh, he delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Now, if this was just a story about mere men, about people, you know, this happened in this far off country and this king had this servant and he wiped out this big debt and then the servant didn't forgive and so the king reinstated the debt and handed him over to the torturers. I mean, it, it would be, it'd be a moving story. It'd be a motivational story. But here's what makes it real. It's what Jesus said. Verse 35. So my heavenly Father also will do to you. My heavenly Father will do this to you. Will do what? Well, what did the king do? Turned him over to the torturer. I, you know, we, we don't like this. It's not real gracy. It doesn't sound gracy enough for us, right? To think that God, who surely would forgive anything, would turn us over to the torturer. But we're reading New Testament. And on top of that, these words are read, which makes it all the much more worse. Jesus said this, so my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother, his trespasses, his debt. What did I tell you a moment ago? The only thing that will keep grace from flowing to you is if you stop grace flowing through you. And I have wrestled with this passage for years. Like I said, it, it doesn't stack up, Lord. It doesn't sound like you. I don't want to stand up and tell people you're going to hand them over to the torturer. But think about it. What does forgiveness do? What does it do? It gives God, it gives God access to you. It lets God put his hand on you. It lets God put his hand over you. It lets God protect you. It lets him bless you. It lets him prosper and heal and deliver forgiveness, grace flowing through you because it removes everything that was between you and him. It's like miracle grow on that branch again. How those get stuck? There? I don't know. Only God can do it. But he did it. What was severed is now one again and it gives him access to you. But what does unforgiveness do? Who gets access to you now? the torturer, the torturer. God has to, he literally, to be just, has to say, if you will not let what I've done for you flow out of you to them, I have to take my hands off. I cannot protect. I cannot come between. I have to hand you over. And we read it and it sounds like punishment. It's not. It's righteousness. It's God being just. It's God being right. I don't want Satan with any access to me. None at all. I want God having access to my life. A number of years ago, um, back in I think 2012, that house I mentioned to you earlier today, that was the first house Sarah and I lived in together. When, she, when we got married and she moved to Fort Worth, I had been renting that house. Uh, and a few months after we got married, we decided to purchase it. So 
we didn't have a lot. Uh, we somehow got together a very baby down payment, but it was enough to get this house. So we purchased it, and we lived in it for five years. It was a great little house, three bed, two bath. It was a great house. Justice was born there. We brought him home to that house. A lot of great memories in that house. But we started out growing it and felt like a move was coming, and it came up in our hearts strong to pay the house off, which honestly made no financial sense. Because what we had already paid in interest over the last five years, we couldn't even get back after paying this house off. But I know both of us knew that the Lord had told us to pay this house off. Sarah, would you come up here? And so we came into agreement. We had a little bit of money in the bank, but nowhere near what we needed. Um, I don't mind telling you, it was the balance on it was about 119000 and that was just a little less than what the original principle was. Just to kind of give you the caliber of the house that, that we were living in. It was a good house, just a, a small little thing. But we got it in our hearts to pay this thing off. And we had a little bit of money in the bank, so we put it towards it. And we trusted God and we sowed seed. And we did that, I believe, in January of that year. And between January and June... It was like the floodgates opened and the windows of heaven opened. I mean, money was coming in like we never had seen before in our lives. And by the thousands and the thousands and the thousands. And before you knew it, we, that, that 119 or whatever it was, was cut in half in like six months. But I'll never forget, right about June, it seemed like the faucet got shut off and it quit coming. And I remember being frustrated. Then I remember being worried. Lord, how are we ever going to pay this off? Because we still got whatever left, 60, 50, $60,000. How are we going to do that, Lord? Forgetting that he had just done exactly that. But you know how we do. And um, we got sort of frustrated about it. And I was searching the word, what do I do? And I was reading scriptures about debt. And I came across what Jesus said. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Now, interestingly enough, Sarah and I, months before that, we got it in our heart to loan somebody some money. We knew a young man, some things he wanted to do. We were excited about it, and it came up strong in our hearts. The Lord said, I want you to loan him the money, which is funny for us because typically, I mean, we've never loaned anybody before that or since. We've never loaned money. It's always been a gift. We've been sowers a whole life, and the Lord's blessed us because of it. But in this particular case, it was several thousand dollars, and the Lord said, loan it to him. So we went to him and said, hey, we feel like the Lord said to get involved with you in this. Would you let us loan it to you? He said, okay, well, let me pray about it. He did. It seemed good. So we loaned him the money. Well, then is when the Lord started talking to us about paying the house off. And then they're going, man, it'd be good to have that money if we just loaned out. And that's when the Lord started talking to me about forgiving in the debt. And so we talked about it. And uh, I said, babe, what do you think about just forgiving that debt? We're trusting God to pay off our debt. What do you think about just forgiving that debt? I don't remember. That must have been around July or August of that year. And we agreed on it. And so we contacted this young guy and we said, you know that money you owe us? You don't owe us. It's yours. Debt's gone. Of course, he was excited. We were excited about it. And in September of that year, I said, Lord, I'm not bringing the house up to you again. You want to talk to me about it? That's fine. But I'm not bringing it up again. I'm carrying the weight of it, so I'm not going to do that. September, I cast all the care of it. First week of October, one day, one day, 
a very unexpected check came in that paid the whole rest of the house. One day. The whole balance of the house was gone in a day. That is the power of forgiving a debt. And I don't care if it's financial or if it's something somebody has said or done to you and they owe you big time. If we could see what unforgiveness was keeping us from and opening us up to, we wouldn't walk in it another second. And I got to thinking about this. I was thinking about Sarah, you know, she and I being in agreement with each other, being one with each other. You know, this is close right here. You really can't get between this. But Satan does everything he can to just get a tiny little inroad. And if he can get it, and he can get it in somebody's mind or somebody's heart that you're my problem. You're the one who's wrong. You do this. You said that. And he just creates a little distance between us. And then a little more distance. And then a little more distance. What's happening is over time, if we're not quick to repent and quick to forgive, that same stupid thing. It was stupid when it happened and it's stupid three months later, but because you've been thinking about it and meditating on it, Satan's been magnifying it and magnifying it and magnifying it. And what he's doing the whole time is putting more and more and more and more distance between two people who used to be close. There used to be fellowship. There used to be affection. There used to be appreciation, but he got in between you and started magnifying that distance. And the more time you let go, the harder this gap is is to close. But if we'll be quick, if we'll be quick, say somebody does do something. I said something stupid. I, I did something wrong. If she'll be quick, if I'll be quick to repent, she can be quick to forgive and we stay close. And that little space starts to creep in. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Nope. And you, you could be in the act of sinning with your mouth and before you finish the breath, say, I'm sorry, I should have said that. <laughs> you could be being the biggest jerk of all time and before you finish, ah, nah, 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 nah. I'm sorry, I should not have said that. Please forgive me. And she'll tell you, in our, in our marriage, in our relationship, the one thing I want more than anything else is for she and I to be in the same place. Just let's get on the same page. And whatever we got to do to shut this thing down. Strife gets in. Okay, call it like you said. Uh-uh, we're not having that. No, Satan, get out of our house. You have no access to us. I love her. She loves me. We love Jesus. We are forgiven forgivers. That's who we are. You want to know what's going to keep your house together? If the whole, if the whole dang house is full of forgiven forgivers. <laughs> If the whole place is full, I should have said that, sorry. <laughs> if the whole place is full of forgiven forgivers, we can't be divided. Amen. Praise the Lord. Stand up on your feet. What you, what you got? Thank you, Lord. Say, I am forgiven. So I am. A forgiver. Man, I have no time to cut short the grace. I want God with full access to me. So just say it out loud. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, 
I repent of every wrong thought, every wrong word, every wrong action, every wrong motive. Thank you, Father, for paying my debt. I owed you big time, but you paid my debt. You wiped it out. You wiped it clean. You nailed it to the cross. And I received that. Thank you for paying my debt. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to, in light of the debt that has been paid, just forgive. And I know, I know with even a room this size, with a handful of people in it, somebody in here has been done wrong. Somebody in here has been lied to, lied about. Something's been stolen from you. You've been cheated out of something. If you want grace flowing to you, then let it flow through you. Be a forgiver. Be a forgiver. Be a forgiver. The Lord said this to me about a week ago as I began studying some of this. It made me laugh. He said, the closest you will ever get to, to time travel is forgiveness. Because forgiveness has the power to take you back in time before you were ever wronged. Before you were ever hurt, before you were ever injured. It's like going back in time. Even the word itself, for, give. For, be for. The give, the gift I'm giving to you, this grace that I'm, I am restoring the grace that we had before anything ever happened. That's my gift. That was his gift to us. This gift to forget. I'm taking you back to a time when there was no law between us. You didn't owe me anything. The only thing between us was my love for you and your faith in me. That's what God did for us. It's like time travel. I thought it was funny. We got to give that gift to each other. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you and remember... You are always welcome here in the House of Faith.